0: We have people in positions of authority, creating policy, making laws that don't have any clue what it's like to be in those environments. So we're ending up with the same cyclical problems that we've always had. We go from doing too much to doing absolutely nothing. and I get it. I have a 16 year old. Sometimes I do too much, and sometimes I just want to quit everything. But there's a happy medium takes effort. And that's something we're all not willing to spend either.
1: Hello, and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening in as we talk with leaders in our community. Joining me today is V. Ginny Burton. She has created a program called Out Helping People in Prison Through Lived Experiences get the help they really need. She's written a book, If I Can, So Can You, Eight Steps to Lasting Change. Welcome, Ginny. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk to you. We have a few things to cover. Let's start with your OUT program. Can you tell us about that? So
0: OUT actually started as a curriculum. I created a curriculum based on the process that I implemented in my own life over the last number of years, beginning with my incarceration when I was first arrested in 2012. And everybody that knows who I am or has seen my photos can sort of guess maybe what that reality looked like. You can go down to any encampment, actually, in the closest metropolitan city to you or the closest woods near where you live. And, and look at any of the women that you see that are emaciated and and look like they're living in a degraded way. And you can see me in that individual. And when I was arrested in 2012, given it my best to exit life. And when I was arrested, I knew that it was definitely a death, but it was a a depth of that existence. And, and I was given the opportunity to recreate myself. And so that's what the OUT program is. It begins again as a curriculum. It's a 10-module curriculum that focuses on the individual identifying their own challenges through assessment and that process. The OUT program, as I envision it, is um, not just lived experience facilitation of that curriculum. It is also uh, the community supports that are present to help meet the individual's deficits where they exist. So I think it's important. So not only was I in active addiction, homelessness, and incarceration with a relationship with child services, I also served as a social service worker uh, in a number of different capacities from housing first to behavioral health and then To supervise homeless case management programs. And so all of those things informed this process that I've created. My goal is to implement the out program. Carceral settings, but also to create a community based program that would be essentially an inpatient program. I call it a treatment program, but it's not necessarily the traditional chemical dependency treatment, but that definitely is a part of it. Uh, I have a lot of community buy in. A lot of folks are very interested. I've presented this process to the Department of Corrections in here in Washington State, as well as Pierce County Jail. And I'm currently doing some work with some consultants in, in Thurston County.
1: When this is implemented, is it a self-study?
0: That's a great question. It's definitely not a self-study. Not that a person can't go through the process. However, there's a really necessary component that we don't see implemented in a lot of our services today, and that is a lived experience facilitation. For example, if I have a program implemented in the Pierce County or King County or Thurston County Jail I am probably not going to send a recent college graduate that came out of their parents' home that studied some sort of behavioral health program in college into facilitate this curriculum. I, I find that to be extremely ineffective. I think it's very necessary to send a person that has experience with incarceration in a county jail setting, somebody who looks like and has been where the people that we're serving are. And I wanna say like for anybody that was able to identify with hope and belief because they looked at my pictures or listened to my story, understand what I'm saying. We're doing a whole lot of hiring hairdressers to build bridges in our world today. And so I want to put hairdressers in hair shops and engineers where are supposed to go. And people with the lived experience with that specific environment will be the people facilitating this. And I think it's really necessary to do so.
1: So you're looking right now at jail and prison. Yes. Where, where else can you see this kind of program?
0: Personally, in any so- social safety net structure, and what I mean by that is we have a homeless industrial complex that is quite large and that there aren't a lot of expectation to support an individual to overcome. I only know because I know. I was a participant in some of those programs, but I also served probably, I would comfortably say thousands of people in that setting for close to a decade. And as much as I was able to address the symptoms of a lot of people's circumstances, I was not given the freedom or resources necessary to help that individual uncover their own deficits and to gain the necessary stability around their deficits so that they could actually hit the ground running and learn to navigate society successfully. Most of the people that I served wanted out of their circumstances, but all of the resources that I had to help the majority of individuals had a destination point within that environment of services. Whether it was permanent supportive housing, moving to a different kind of shelter, being in an environment where there were still people practicing the behaviors that were very problematic for the individual. And there's a lot of that. And and we're moving into these deeper trenches of these policies that are driving this. We're seeing less recovery, less freedom, less family reunification. What we're seeing more of is more homelessness, more overdoses and more child service engagement, more aging out of foster care and more folks that, A, they're not being incarcerated and the ones that are being incarcerated just repeated trips to prison, so.
1: So this is something that brings, sounds like education, Mm -hmm. compassion, relatability, and it sets people up for bigger success.
0: Absolutely. I mean, as a system, and I and I say we a lot because I am part of the United States of America, I want to say I'm grateful for that. We have gained a lot of intel, though, over the last number of decades with how we are being ineffective and how we could better serve the most vulnerable in our society. When we're only as strong as our weakest member, and most of our weakest members are literally dwindling away in squalor and addiction that's not saying a lot for how we're serving. That's that's not compassion. I'm grateful I'm not loaded today, Lori. I just want to say that because nobody would be coming to help me. No one. And and I really believe that it's my job to provide insight and opportunity. And
1: how many years have you been clean and sober? Ten years. 10 years. Congratulations.
0: I think we're moving farther and farther away from supporting the kind of environments that encourage any type of abstinence. Being a person that became abstinent, and I know thousands of people actually that became abstinent in a similar way as me, which I was kicking and screaming in the beginning. Like I didn't want to be incarcerated either. I wanted to keep using, but there was a big part of me inside that really didn't want that. And the thing is, is I served... So many people in that same sort of place, it's it's like purgatory, where it's like, I don't want to be doing this, but I cannot stop on my own. And I'm not going to stop because my disease is so much bigger than me. And then it's like, I'm so grateful that I was arrested. And and I'm just not the only one. And and so I know that we can do better. And, And if by we, I'm willing to be the one that says, okay, that can be me. And we can all just say, hey, we did this, then I'm all for it. I've spent my whole life fighting anyway. So I might as well fight for something that's actually worth fighting for, which is a whole bunch of human life. I was arrested. My disease was arrested. My life was arrested. And I was able to actually gain enough clarity to put some pieces together so that I can get to where I am today. And there is a Jenny inside of every person that we see out there. Like I am not unique. And I think that is the thing. And yeah, have I gained a lot of attention? I have, but we all have that capability. And at the same time, if we sit around waiting for folks to try to figure it out on their own, I mean, even me having had multiple incarcerations, I was unable to pull myself out of it on my own, even though I had some awareness around it, I needed help. I needed a little bit of help. My relief had to be augmented. And and thankfully, there were policies in place that allowed that to happen.
1: We hear people say they have to get to the end or they have to get arrested to actually get, I like what you said, clarity to get help. Is there anything we can do prior to that? I mean, I think
0: there's always something that can be done. Well, I think, well, first of all, there's a fallacy. There's nothing that I can do to get somebody else clean. But when there's an opportunity to intervene, then we should take those. In that regard, we can do a lot. There's not a lot of intervention happening right now. And when I say intervention, I typically mean police contact or forced separation of some sort. Crimes, and there were certain things that were criminal. And so crimes were a really great way to incentivize people to participate in programs. When you have somebody that's separated long enough, and for me, this last time it took I, I literally had to be in jail for more than six months to really be able to arrest that thought process and that desire. And then I got an opportunity to be in a community-based program. But incarceration is how it started. We could definitely can change our systems. We have the capability, the technology, and the understanding at this point. Uh, One of the things that I've recognized over the last year and speaking with a lot of different corrections-based programs is that corrections-based programs are still based on correction, right? And that's because it's the same system that's locking people up that is trying to create these sort of avenues. And I say avenues as opposed to solutions, because it's almost like there's a box being checked off saying, oh no, we're already doing that. When in reality, no solution isn't being uh, intervened, interjected into the situation. So But it's very challenging. It's kind of like trying to talk reason to a drunk person. Anybody that's ever tried to have a rational conversation with a heavily intoxicated person knows that there's no point in doing so until the person is has come down from the chemical and so that is when our optimum time to be able to actually intervene with something because that's when the individual starts to really recognize that they get back to that place where it's like i hate this what am i doing to my life i really wish i had some help And usually in those moments of despair, that's when they're incentivized to go out and pick up another chemical. But if we have somebody separated from that destructive environment during that period of time, that is when they're most porous. That is really when the desperation is most beneficial. When people are on the streets in that place, especially now, like as a society, we've made it so easy for people to not have to be uncomfortable We're a nation where you can become obese being homeless. Like you can become extremely overweight just taking part in homeless service feeding opportunities. And we're addressing the symptoms of people's challenges and capacity equals funding. Let me just say that capacity equals funding. If you're not sick, I don't have a paycheck. And that's really problematic. And I knew my story was going to end up sort of interweave through this because it just is impossible not to do it. But I come from a place where I'm still watching my friends, Lori, in their fifties, go back to prison, be shot in the head, shoot other people and day on drugs or die of overdoses. And and it's really sad for me it's and that's one of the biggest reasons that i created this program
1: so how is your program different than what is kind of in place now it's focused
0: on solution it's <laughs> focused on people overcoming and it it was created by me based on and i am your average individual that repeatedly goes to prison i grew up in poverty my mom and dad were both addicts. My dad went to prison when I was four. I watched the whole thing. I watched my dad be taken down. at the, You know, I was standing at the top of the stairs. My mom introduced me to drugs. I was abused most of my life. I have multiple siblings. We grew up on welfare. We were evicted all the time. I was an Excel student, but that didn't really mean anything because I didn't have and was not taught the necessary skills to be able to navigate society successfully. And so, so it's very different because it's created from a a very intentional lived experience standpoint we're not addressing the underlying causes and it makes sense because we have all this evidence based clinically focused blah 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 that is based on education it's not based on lived experience so i went went to school because i knew that my experience would only be honored by turning a few certain kind of keys but you know so i have this lived experience as being an addict and an incarcerated person who had all of these different sort of engagements with Child services, jail, juvenile hall, and all those things. But then I got out and I started to serve in that field. And I started very quickly. I moved to the top of the structure, was heading directly upward in the social service structure. And there's that aspect too. Like I got the opportunity to work in Housing First and to work within behavioral health as a peer counselor and see how these young clinicians were focusing their attention and they were prescribing based on addiction symptoms as opposed to actual mental health symptoms and and they didn't even really know how to identify it because they didn't have lived experience and then i went on to supervise this these three housing case management programs and and i was serving folks but i was also had also worked in reentry. and so this program is really it's based on how I grew up, the people that I'm familiar with, the thousands of people that I've worked with in and out of prisons and homelessness, the interventions that were beneficial, what wasn't present, how they could have done better, the programs that I was in as a participant and the programs that I served in and how we were ineffective. But I also pulled out the things that were effective. And so not to mention, I've read a number of different things. I'm an Albert Ellis fan if nobody knows who that is look him up you can find his stuff he created rational emotive behavior therapy which morphed into cognitive behavioral therapy and then there's other behavioral therapies that have that have sort of trickled down and have enhanced or evolved through that and so you know i've been through a number of those things the coursework that i created really focuses on an individual and their own perception and awareness based on their experiences. Cause I can tell you all day, Hey, Lori, I think you're doing this and you're doing that, but it's not until Lori makes a decision to see it herself that she's able to change, right? The program that I've created is very different than what we see. Now, that's not to say I haven't had experiences with programs in society that don't have some of these components or that aren't doing great work. It's very holistic and it's very intentional. And it's based on more than 40 years of living in that kind of environment and serving in that kind of environment. It's also a lot of what I've created are things that I've worked with other women and other people in recovery and that are being released in prison that I've implemented or helped them to implement in their own life. And they've been very successful doing so. The name of your book is. If I can, so can you. Eight steps for lasting change. It's really the process that I've implemented in my life. It gives a little bit of my history, why I'm credible, why I think I have information about change. I don't think I'm a guru and I don't think I have all the answers But I do think that I have answers that were effective in my life and they turned my life completely around. And I had a really long history of self-hatred and self-loathing and finding that I was inadequate. That stuff carried out my entire life. It, It impacted my relationships. It had a massive effect on my relationship with my children. Despite my best efforts, I abandoned my kids and I chose drugs. You know, I was a failure, literally, in every sense of the word. And- Prior to being arrested, I really gave it my all to die. Uh, the guy that I was married to came into a house after me with a hammer. And instead of allowing him to be the one that owned my death, I took more than 200. It was close to 400 pills that I took. And I woke up four days later. I was pretty angry. I couldn't formulate words. They, I had words in my mind, but what came out of my mouth was not what was happening in my mind. And you know, I was pretty angry that I lived through that. So by the time I was arrested, I was really tired. I I was tired at during that relapse. I had started using because I was in a domestic violence relationship and and it made sense to use because it helped blot out my reality. But I couldn't stop once I started and I didn't really wanna be using. I was clean and sober for two years. By the time I was arrested, I feel like tired is such an understatement. It didn't matter to me whether I died whether I went to prison or what I just needed out of that life. And I just couldn't stop on my own. And I had an experience with recovery. That's why my heart breaks for what I see going on on our streets today, because I know, and I know I served multiple women in homelessness and that really were as desperate as I was to get out and every direction they turned It just led them back to the same environment, the same circumstances, the same brick walls. And I know what that hopelessness feels like. You become so self-destructive that it just doesn't matter what happens to you. You just kind of give up on yourself. When I was arrested, I I recognized the tremendous amount of self-hatred. And it talks about this a little bit. It kind of blows over it in my book. Mind you, this is a short book. This is a recovery change support book. And I created this book because I'm trying to raise some funds which I'll talk about in a second but but in the book I talk about the process that I implemented because when I walked into jail and I had that self-hatred toward that woman that I saw in the mirror something had to change. I could not live in that space anymore. And I'd lived there for a really long time. I had let myself down over and over again. And so this process really, it uncovers the awareness, the truth, the willingness, and the process. And it's very elementary in its layout, really. But the thing is, is I've complicated my life so much, most of my life, and and I just needed to create a simple process. And so, so that's really what's in this book. It's the simple process. It's eight steps that helped me to really become a very different person and to just really strip down the BS that I had been feeding myself for so long and intentionally change the way that I saw myself how I talked to myself and how I made the decision to move forward. The awareness that I gained as I started changing my message, I think of it as a, you know, an outside person. I'm like, oh, this thing isn't really that spectacular. But you know, sometimes we just need to simplify things a little bit. It doesn't have to be big and huge and complicated. Change happens very incrementally, one small choice at a time. And that's what this book is about. And It's pretty near and dear to me, and uh, it is definitely the same thing that I try to teach people that I work with.
1: It sounds like it offers hope. If I can, you can. It sounds like you could become so desperate you feel like there's no way I could.
0: Yeah, and I think that's it. It's like we're all sort of individually existing down in these 15-foot pits that are dirt pits that all we see is the sun on top sometimes and people yelling down what we're capable of, but we can't seem to crawl our way out. We keep sliding down the mud hill. And maybe after the 15th person's come and told you how to get out, you have already given up because the first five to seven times didn't work. But because I did it too, I'm like, Hey, place your foot here do this there instead of saying oh yeah you can totally get out of it that's kind of what this book is it's just a really simple method to crawl out of that hole
1: we're talking to jenny burton her book is called if i can so can you eight steps to lasting change how can we find this book
0: you can find it on Amazon or even if you follow me on any of my social media there are links there but Amazon there's a Kindle edition and there is a paperback copy.
1: And how can we find you on social media?
0: You can find me on all of my social media under Vs and Victor Ginny G I N N Y Burton B U R T O N. Currently you can find me on Facebook, you can find me on Instagram as V Ginny Burton and you can also find me on LinkedIn. All the proceeds for this book are going toward fundraising for a facility in the community. Yes, the OUT program that I talked about, it's just, I just recently got a business license. So OUT has become its own entity. It's no longer just a curriculum that was created by VB Media. I was brought to this work because this work has been my life, my entire life. And now I'm on the other end of it. I've done the research and now I am presenting the solution based on 40 years of engagement. I am V. Ginny Burton, you call me Ginny Burton. I am the author of uh, If I Can So Can You, Eight, Eight Steps to Lasting Change. And again, the proceeds for that book will go to funding a facility for people in the community so we can help people get their lives back and take ownership of that and become independent from system services. My website, www.vjinnyburton.com We'd be very grateful for any donations, any support to help make this facility happen. It will be an inpatient treatment facility that doesn't just focus on chemical dependency, but focuses on all of the underlying causes of a person's circumstances and then brings in the necessary supports to help that person overcome their deficits and be able to gain living wage employment, family reunification, solidified, stable, independent housing. That program ideally will not just be a state-funded program that caters to the homeless, but But we'll cater to, this is my goal, to cater to private insurance and private funding, as well as some state-issued beds and people that are releasing from incarceration. The goal really is to work with folks for a long enough period of time that they have the ability to learn how to navigate life and society in a manner that does not destroy themselves anymore.
1: So it sounds like you went through all these programs, you took the good that you saw in them, but you also, because of your lived experience, you saw the gaps. And so you created something that could fill those gaps.
0: Out is an LLC. Out is not a nonprofit. It might be a little more challenging. However, I was not willing to give out up to the public to do with what they want the goal will remain solution and we will figure out a way if you do donate you will not get the same write-off as you would with a 501c3 but what you would really be doing if you do make the decision to donate is you would be actually supporting life-changing experiences for individuals and see a reduction in the recidivism of our homeless industrial complex social service complex and prison environment i used to run a day
1: center for homeless women mm-hmm. And people would say, oh, well, I always stop when I see somebody on the corner and I I always would say, no, take your money to an organization that's doing the work. If you want to give them something, give them food or give them a ticket to the gospel mission dinner or whatever. I appreciate that. And when
0: we talk about doing the work, what are the outcomes? What are the individually focused outcomes? And OUT aims to reduce recidivism through personal improvement with each individual. And that's another goal of OUT. We aim to create safer societies. How do you do that? Well, you don't do that by doing nothing, you do that by helping the individuals that are perpetrating on community members to actually gain what they need so that they're living in integrity. Because when an individual feels like they're living in integrity, they don't really want to give that up anymore because it's a beautiful experience of freedom. I believe with the best of us is that we really want to be contributing members to our communities. We don't always want to take, but it's really easy to get into those places and to allow life to sort of compress everything that you've experienced. But what we want to do with that is we want to pull those things out. We want to help the individual uncover those things and walk them through the discomfort of feeling raw, but teach them how to keep on moving, even though that discomfort is present, and then help them to find their own path to becoming that contributing community member where they now don't feel ashamed to walk out and participate in society. And that's really, for me, it's the goal. I know it it's possible for all of us, but we have to be able to incentivize that separation. Otherwise we're going to lose people. It's literally like helping to just flush and flush and flush as people start circling the goals. And I think we're, we're missing a huge piece. I think we have the capabilities to be a lot wiser in our approach in everything that we do In everything that we do. It's not just this arena, but you know, because we are consenting as a community, And as a society to allow the continued swirling, we're just, we're allowing this continued destruction. And a lot of it has to do with, because we have people in positions of authority, creating policy, making laws that don't have any clue what it's like to be in those environments. So we're ending up with the same cyclical problems that we've always had. We go from doing too much to doing absolutely nothing. and and I get it. I have a sixteen year old. sometimes I do too much, and sometimes I just want to quit everything, but there's a happy medium it takes effort, and that's something we're all not willing to spend either.
1: Well, thank you so much yes, um, and I you know, when I saw your picture um on your Facebook, I remember seeing it years ago. So was there a story? There must have been a story, somebody so a couple
0: of years ago, yeah, Eric Johnson. Oh, okay. Yeah. for the Fight for the soul of Seattle. So I was on one of his shows before I pulled that King County jail, the King County jail, um, you know, mug shots. Uh, that was one of my worst ones. And mm-hmm. so I was just, yeah, I was pretty far gone. Um, but yeah. So the fight for the soul of Seattle, it came out on that. And then Eric Johnson did an Eric heroes episode of me also mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And so so that's, yeah, I posted it on my own social media and it went viral all over the world. And then, but Eric and I were doing one of the shows at that point because him and I had gained a relationship over the years. And so, cause he walked, I was running the Lazarus Day Center, downtown Seattle. And so, um, yeah, and that's where Eric found me. And so, uh, yeah, so culmination of things, but then, yeah, that picture went crazy everywhere all over the world. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Cause I mean, that, that's what brings awareness it doesn't. Well, and It's given me a platform, you know, to speak up and I'm definitely in a different voice. I won't, I won't say opposing. I think some people view me as opposing until they listen to what I'm saying and they know that I make sense. It but makes people sense. Are, right. People are afraid right now. People are so afraid to not say what everybody else is saying. You know, I mean, I've never been in the in crowd. I just haven't. And so it's just like, well, I don't really give a crap if- yeah people like what I have to say or not. Like, I'm really trying to help people. So, and I believe that other people are trying to help people. They just don't have, they think that help looks like what everybody's told them that it looks like. And I'm like, yeah, nope, that hasn't helped anyone. Or it's actually codependent. Right. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. So yeah. my son is, um, well, he says he's in a shelter now and he says he has a job. So I don't know if he just wants me to feel better or if he really is, but sometimes yeah. like you would tell me about the people that come to the park and feed them and do all that. And I mean, I know it's nice, but then there's part of me that wants to go, you know, when you guys stop doing all this, then they're yeah. going to have to, they're going to have to take care of themselves right. and get some help, you know? Right. Um, so it's hard, you know, you want to be grateful, but, and you don't want to be better, but sometimes, uh, you know, is a, and I see so many parents that just totally enable, I have a friend right now. Her kid came home, said he's going to do laundry. He won't leave. She can't get him to leave. And I right. said, "You let him in the house." I told right. you not to let him in the house. So you know, yeah. people—they, they, they get their hearts really on.
0: easy for people to continue to destroy themselves. And yeah. so, you know, my my oldest daughter was evicted a couple of months ago, and she wanted mom to run to the rescue. And I said, "No," I said, "I'm sorry." Mm-hmm. Like I told you. You know, because she's making poor choices. And I said, you know, I told you, I gave you the information you needed to prevent this from happening. And so now that you weren't willing to spend 30% of your energy to prevent it, I'm not spending 170% of my energy to solve your problem. Good for you. So, yeah, I don't hard, but yeah, Oh, I you. get a bad rap with my kids. <laughs> I'll tell you right now. But like, you know, I didn't. I've enabled stuff and it's, it doesn't benefit anyone. It just, it just continues the problem. Thank you so much, Lori. Have a great day. Thank
1: you. And congratulations on your book. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community.